This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hello, I'm Jonathan Dimbleby. Thanks for taking the time to download this edition of Any Questions from BBC Radio 4. Welcome to West Yorkshire and to the town of Elland, which is 700 years old when it was then granted the right by King Edward II to hold a weekly market, and the town is still proud to call itself a market town. Elland is indelibly associated with the Gannex Mac, which some of you will recall, made famous by Harold Wilson and subsequently favoured apparently by Lyndon Johnson, Mao Zedong and Nikita Khrushchev, not to mention the Queen, Prince Philip and the Corgis. The map, the Mac, was invented by Lord Kagan, who thereby became a multi-millionaire and spoke in the upper house on prison reform. That was after he had served a ten-month sentence for misappropriating funds from his own company. Times have moved on and so has the town. The Gannex factory is closed down and Harold Wilson's Gannex is now displayed in a museum in his preferred holiday resort, the Isles of Scilly. Our host here is a very modern Brooksbank School, a secondary with great facilities, an academy with 1,700 pupils, whose motto faces us, this panel, aspire and achieve, it says. On our aspiring panel, Owen Patterson, former Environment Secretary, sacked by David Cameron, a decision which Mr Patterson later attributed to the Prime Minister's desire to appease what he called the Green Blob. Tracy Brabin, former star of Coronation Street, EastEnders and Emmerdale. Tracy, which is your favourite of those? Oh, all of them. I'm a soap queen. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> now she is Shadow Early Learnings Minister after her election to Parliament following the murder of her close friend, Joe Cox. Marnie Millard is CEO of the international soft drinks company Nichols. She's also the regional chair of CBI Northwest and a passionate fan of the rock group, group Simple Minds, which I imagine means much more to you than any of the other stuff you do. Absolutely. How did you get to know that? Uh, research, research. Um, and, and, of course, everyone had heard of Simple Minds before we heard of you, even. Um, <laughs> Madalena Kay is a 23-year-old campaigning writer and blogger who writes and illustrates crowd-funded cartoon books which are a delight on the eye and provocative to the mind. She's acquired the nickname EU Supergirl. She dresses, not now incidentally, she's very modestly dressed this evening by comparison, in a superhero outfit to publicise her super-serious hostility to Brexit. However, her costume did not find favour with the organisers of a press conference at the European Parliament, who told her to leave, despite the fact that she'd won an award to take part in an EU event about journalism, and you had the proper accreditation, didn't you? Yep, all the passes. Yeah. So, there we are, our panel. <laughs> and our first question, please. Jonathan Ryland, are Conservative Brexit rebels mutineers? This was what Howie described in a big front-page piece in the Daily Telegraph. Nine uh, Conservative MPs, seven of them former ministers, two chairmen of committees, and it caused quite a stir for obvious reasons. Uh, Owen Patterson. Uh, no, some of them, such as Ken Clark, have very long-held views and are completely straight and honest. They've held those views for a very long time. I think the problem we have as a country is that we have a constitutional first. We've had several referendums in the last few years. We had the original one on entering the common market. We had Scottish, Welsh, Northern Ireland ones. We had one on AV. Every time the British people 
helpfully delivered exactly what the establishment wanted. This time, they haven't. We've had the largest vote in British history, the largest majority in British history, bigger than any general election, to leave. And this has gone against the wishes of the political establishment, the media establishment, the industry establishment, the financial establishment, and the legal establishment. And the establishment finding it very, very hard to swallow. Uh, we've had a general election in which both the main parties, Conservative and Labour, representing was it 83% of the vote, said that they would endorse the Leave vote. And we have a government which is committed to delivering exactly what the people voted for. So we are currently on course to leave on the 29th of March 2019. We will leave the single market. We will leave the customs union. And very importantly, we'll leave the remit of the European Court of Justice. Okay. Now, look, you, you could tell us the long story. Um, <laughs> but you said when you were asked about this, um, I think it will make them think about what they're actually doing. Do you think that you cite in that... Um, Ken Clark and other leading figures, former Attorney General, didn't know exactly what they were doing when they made it clear that they were aspects of the withdrawal bill that they were going to oppose? Well, no, I think Ken's a really good one to name because he, he's a very strong believer in parliamentary democracy. He, he doesn't believe in referendums. But this is a phenomenon. This is a, this is a new constitutional event where the referendum has gone against the wishes of the establishment, and Ken is a very great establishment figure. And, and do one, one more thing. Um, you, you believe that it's a mistake, which is one of the key areas of disagreement within the party, um, to, uh, make a f to say that there shouldn't be a fixed time, that if negotiations reach close to the edge of what is regarded by some as a cliff edge, not by you, that therefore more time, if the EU 27 agree, should be given to finalise a deal that would work. That, that is wrong, you think. The, the deadline should be a guillotine. Well, I'm surprised the date has become such an issue because on the last vote, 494 MPs voted to trigger Article 50, which means there is a mandatory two-year period. With the right to extend. With the right to extend. Yes, but you've got to, you'd have to repeal the bill. You'd have to go all around Europe and get everyone else to agree. Personally, um, I think having the date in gives clarity. And everywhere I go now, businesses, whether I think, find if they're saying remain or leave, I, we did a big conference in Malvern last night amongst the farming community who voted about 60-40 to leave. The remainers are now saying, just get on with it. We want to know where we're going. And I think having this date in the bill actually is sensible because we must bring compression to these negotiations. We've got to get on to the end status, the, the economic arrangement we're going to have with our neighbours. Uh, Mani Millard, as uh, regional chair of CBI in, in this area, in this region, um, what do you make of this mutineer's claim of the Daily Telegraph? Well, I think, firstly, um, the title is um, that of the media, um, and they wish to create a story out of the discussions. From business point of view in the northwest yes um, a requirement for clarity um, is absolute because as businesses we're planning the future uh, we're not just making decisions about 12 months time you know we're looking at five-year strategies uh, across all of our business so yes having clarity and knowing where we're going is tremendously important to business however this is a negotiation, um, and I am sure business will prefer the best deal that we can actually uh, achieve. 
Uh, and therefore, I think we're struggling to understand why you would put a drop-dead date in, which actually might not allow you to conclude that negotiation um, to the absolute best belief of the business. You would prefer there to be that degree of flexibility... Yeah, I mean, I, I think the business community, uh, and I talk for the North West specifically, um, would like a transition period. And that's not to suggest to the general public that that's uh, a way of prolonging. Uh, the reality is, is there is a lot of backroom work that needs to be done, regardless of what agreement we end up with, to actually implement whatever agreement uh, is uh, achieved um, with, with our relationships with the EU. That requires resource, it requires technology and systems. So, you know, we need time to prepare. Um, having uh, a, a drop-dead date where we're forced into a situation will be extremely difficult for business to cope with. Tracy Braben. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement with Marnie. I mean, uh, to go to the question, Jonathan's question about mutineers, I think it, the language is divisive and possibly unnecessary. Uh, but there is something powerful about the fact that the government is having this scrutiny from its backbenchers. And, and to be clear, the Labour Party, uh, we voted to trigger Article 50. We are leaving the EU it's in uh, it, 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 the question is how we're leaving and to make sure that we have a jobs first brexit and that we protect those rights that we have fought for um, uh, so far but with re- thank you um, with regard to the transition, I think Keir Starmer was absolutely right when he said that we want this transition to be as short as possible as long as necessary because I mean, how far have we got in the last seven months? There's so much that's still not agreed, the Northern Ireland border, the rights of EU citizens in this country and British citizens abroad, the divorce bill. It seems to me there's all these ideological red lines being drawn left, right and centre, and it's about Theresa May trying to hold her party together rather than putting uh, Britain and our citizens first, which I think that must be the priority. Madeleine Kay. Well, the 29th of March uh, 2019 actually happens to be my 25th birthday. Um, and if these Tory rebels are labelled mutineers, I'll quite proudly be labelled the saboteur that's going to ensure that we don't. Re- this is not a birthday gift that I receive. Um, I think it's a really sad day for democracy when honest dissent is being labelled as mutiny. Now. <laughs> When the British people voted to leave, uh, we didn't know exactly what we voted for. Brexit had no specificities, um, and um, we, do not, we did not vote on the way that we were going to leave. And given the complete shambles that the Tory government's making of negotiating this deal, the fact that they can't even keep up to the EU's timeline on it, why on earth would Theresa May be setting a deadline that we can't necessarily meet to ensure that we are not hitting a cliff edge and that we're not hitting an economic, social and political self-destruct button on my 25th birthday? You take us unknowingly... I'll bring you back in in just a moment, Owen. You, you, could, you bring us unknowingly to our next question, please. David Chandler. Today, Theresa May has been told by Donald Tusk that within two weeks she should put more money on the table 
and make progress on avoiding a hard border with Ireland. How should she respond? Uh, he said at this press conference after their meeting, these were his words, um, uh, we need to see much more, pro much more progress on Ireland and on financial settlement in order to avoid any ambiguities about our work calendar. I made it very clear, he is of course president of the commission, at the beginning of December at the latest that this progress needs to happen. If there is no sufficient progress by then, the beginning of December, I will not be in a position to propose new guidelines on transition and the future relationship at the December European Council. Um, what do you make of that? It rather touches on what you were referring to just now, Marnie Millard. What should the Prime Minister do? We, we are in a negotiation, um, and I would imagine um, a very difficult one to navigate and find your way through. Um, I would expect that uh, there is some level of intelligence in terms of understanding uh, what kind of figure would actually appease the other side, so to speak. Um, there's lots of speculation around that figure, um, and uh, I'm sure there will be quantification of that. Um, but I think to uh, have a, a tone today uh, such as that of Donald Tusk is, is, is just really not helpful in the, in the process, uh, and it almost feels as if who's going to blink first. Well, perhaps that is the, exactly where Absolutely. the two sides are. Yes. If it is the case that in order to prepare for a summit later in December, you need to know where you are by the uh, beginning of December, it, perhaps, it, perhaps this, is not, this is not just sort of uh, uh, throwing, throwing dust in the face of the British, maybe just saying this is the, this is the reality. Yes, and, I, and as a part of that response, then the government are going to have to decide um, how they're going to respond to that with what level of um, uh, monetary offer. Yeah, but how, offer. You, I, I, know, I know that you aren't in the cabinet, as it were, no. uh, advising her. There's a lot of advice, contrary kinds, going on from within the cabinet. But how would you, how do you think she should respond? Should she say, yes, um, I, I think we are going to put more money on the table and it's in the area of pensions and the area of commitments we've already made, etc., or not? Um, I, I think we've got to look uh, to the longer position uh, that the country is going to have, and therefore I would expect that there will be further movement that needs to be made to take the discussions to the next level, yes. Um, what should the Prime Minister, how should she respond, Owen Patterson? Well, I think we all agree across the board that we would like to maintain reciprocal free trade with zero tariffs, and that's the end state we would like to get to. The problem is, talking to members of the committee that went to talk to Monsieur Barnier uh, last week, the Commission is talking entirely in terms of the EU. They're entirely talking in terms of the political project. And there's a glitch between the way we are talking. They sell us 71.8 billion more than we sell them. Germans sold us 950,000 cars last year. But the economic interest is not really beginning to buy. Only just today did Marcus Kerber of the BDI, of the equivalent of the German CPA, begin to make noises. And I fear this. We're talking about matters which should come at the end. We should talk about money right at the end. If the House of Lords Committee has said we don't owe anything, 
And we've said we'll honour our legal obligations and all sorts of programmes like Erasmus and things like that, which we want to go on with. So, given, so, where given I think, the, so to answer yeah. your question directly, a month ago, I and a number of others, including an ex-chancellor, senior people from the law, armed services, etc., business, we wrote a letter recommending the Prime Minister that she should say, look, you're, if you're not prepared to talk about the end economic arrangements between us, and we would like to get to reciprocal free trade, we are assuming that we are going to WTO terms which are the terms on which the the Americans and the Indians have doubled their sales into the EU from outside while we've been members of the market. And we will tell all our organisations, government organisations, business organisations, to make arrangements accordingly. We'll see you in Geneva next week to to start talking about tariff schedules. Now, that would bring compression. We have somehow got to get them to talk about the end game. And if they... And if they, if they are, sorry, if, if, if Donald Tusk is dead serious when he's saying what he's saying now, for the purposes of argument, and we're getting closer and closer to a deadline at any rate, you would say, would you... I, tell me, correct me if this is not your position. OK, stuff it, as it were. We, no. will, we will fall over the, what you call the cliff. I, Owen Patterson, and those who believe like me, don't believe it's a cliff. No, it's not a cliff. It's a global world deal on which the vast majority of trade around the world happens. So you would say, OK, and no deal then? No. I'm saying, sadly, you're not prepared to start the end game. We are assuming we all end up going to WTO. We've got to give our businesses time. Just as, as an example, there's a concept called an authorised economic operator, which gives accelerated passage through customs. We have 604... Germany has over 6,000. We need to give our trucking industry time to register and get credited. So this is not going off a cliff. This is going to the terms on which the vast majority of other countries trade with the EU. Should they come back to us and say, look, sorry about this, we had a misunderstanding. We do want to talk about maintaining the current arrangements based on conformity of standards and regulation, which we now have, moving to reciprocal free trade, great, that's exactly where we'd like to be. But we cannot keep drifting on with them dictating terms. That is not the way to go ahead. Madeleine Kay. Well, I think this deadlock in talks is is actually quite inevitable, really, because the Tory government's trying to achieve a sort of fantasy Brexit um, that isn't actually achievable and what they're demanding isn't going to be served up by the EU. Um, They seem to be forgetting that we're negotiating with 27 other countries who all have their interests at heart. And, um, you know, rather than working with them collaboratively to find, uh, you know, a future together um, that's beneficial to mutually beneficial to everyone, we've now turned them into our enemies and uh, we're competing against them. Um, and the fact that they've got a timeline um, is... I don't know how helpful that is, but I think, you know, the EU is a, an organisation that runs on rules and we have to, we have to comply with those rules. Um, so what would you... To go to, the, to go to the question, what would you have the Prime Minister do in response to what Donald Tusk has said? Well, she needs to get her cabinet in order and they need to have, like, a fixed uh, Brexit strategy because at the moment they don't really seem to know what they're negotiating. And, you know, you've got half the Tory party wanting one thing and being labelled as mutineers and half the Tory party uh, trying to crash out on WTO rules. Okay, Um, Tracy, Tracy Brady. 
Well, I, I think, obviously, um, Owen's very knowledgeable around this subject, and it's got a bit, I would say, for me and my constituents, probably the, uh, a bit wonkish, if you don't mind me saying that. What do people really want? What they want is an arrangement with the right sort of language. We can't be uh, looking at the people we're negoti- negotiating with as the enemy. I mean, this... The- <laughs> You know, the CBI, businesses, unions, us, we want the best-case scenario. And if we're going into these negotiations without any flexibility, we're going to, you know, we we want the best-case scenario. And um, I would say, more than anything, we have got to um, try and work out who is actually in charge. And it doesn't help uh, with Boris and Michael Gove writing quite uh, strong letters to Theresa May telling her what she should and shouldn't do. So, sorry I, to interrupt you as I interrupted Owen Patterson. Would you have the Prime Minister, if this, if this deadline is serious that Donald Tusk has uttered and he speaks on behalf of the 27? Um, and Germany and France have made it very clear they're the two big players that they mm. will not go forward unless these earlier issues, the money in Northern Ireland and the, and the status of residence in both Europe and in the UK is settled. What would you have her do now on the money, for instance? Well, I would say that they would have to go into negotiations about that, that she would have to accept that this will have to be discussed before we move but forward. But she's agreed, they've agreed it has to be discussed. They just don't want to discuss it at this point. As they, they want to discuss, but, but the talk is, if I can put it this way, mm. that she is actually ready to offer more and that that could be up to something. I mean, the Financial Times talks about maybe you get it down to as low as an extra 10 uh, or th- up to a total of 30, a little bit over 30 billion. Do you, do you think that more money has to be found in order to unblock what you see as a logjam? I think whatever the logjam is, that needs unblocking because we need to move on. Okay. Yes, Owen Patterson. I don't know where anyone mentioned enemies. I said right at the beginning, we would like reciprocal free trade. We would like to carry on trading as freely as possible with zero tariffs. We already have... Don't you want... Owen, isn't this having your cake and eat it? You want to be out, but on just as good terms as if you were in? We want to leave the political arrangements. We voted, very simply, to take back control. So we don't want to be in the single market, the customs union, or under the European Court of Justice. So we make all our decisions in Parliament and have them decided by politicians who, if you don't like them, you can chuck out at elections. Do you, no, you cannot vote out a single European commissioner. It is completely, totally impossible. Okay. Let, me, let me ask... Very, very simple. I, they may be susceptible to yes and no answers, I, th- I think. Do you personally want a transition period lasting up to two years? Well, if we gave notice now we were going to WTO, we could start the transition period this week so and do, everybody do, do, could begin you, to prepare. Do you want a transition deal in non-WTO terms. You don't, do you? I mean, let's be blunt about it. You, you welcome WTO. You don't... No, no, I don't. I've, no, I've made it very clear. WTO is second best. It's, it's not bad. It's a global deal on which a huge amount of trade is done with the EU. I've just said India and the USA have accelerated their sales into Europe twice as fast as we have. Much better, ideally, would maintain the current regime, totally reciprocal free trade. But at the moment, if they're not prepared to talk about that, you can't really talk about anything else. And I've just mentioned one other very quick thing, because the Taoiseach has, has popped up today. The Irish Prime Minister. The, the Irish Prime Minister. I mean, I, I was the Shadow Secretary in Northern for three years and the real Secretary for two years, went every week. I don't know anybody in Ireland 
that finds there's a problem at the moment where there is currently a border. There is a currency border, a VAT border, an income tax border, and a corporation tax border. Not a single person has ever said it's a problem. The vast majority of trade this, these days is invoiced electronically. And with modern technology, we can continue to have a seamless border. Both houses of the Irish Parliament, the Dáil, said in committee, said they wanted to maintain the common travel area, which has been a huge benefit to everybody all around the British Isles, free movement between all the parts of the British Isles. And we should turn that as well for goods and services. We, we should have a, a mini Schengen for the whole British Isles. And that is perfectly doable with technology. But there's got to be goodwill on the other side. It does okay. alarm me with a presidential election coming up uh, next autumn, okay. next November. Uh, Owen, there is some I'm afraid you're going to have to keep okay. your alarm to yourself at the moment because we've got to move on. Uh, just with a reminder that the programme is going, is, is going to come... We will be in Northern Ireland in Newry, in fact, on December the 1st, when doubtless this will come up. Um, I should remind you now of any answers. The number to ring, 03700 100444. I didn't say that very clearly, did I? 444. It's so familiar. Uh, Anita Arnand will be there. Um, you can email any.answers at bbc.co.uk. Tweet, hashtag BBCAQ, and you can follow us at BBC. Any questions? May we please have our next? Sue McMahon. Schools in Theresa May's constituency are having to ask parents to pay for pens and paper. What are the panel's priorities for fair funding for schools? This is the primary school. They, they say the school actually says it's, it, that the money, which equates, if you've got a, two children, as one uh, parent has noted, £190 a year, it would cost the purposes to pay for glue, pens, pencils, exercise books, paper, tape and reading books. What are your priorities for fair funding for schools. Uh, this, this story is replicated across the country in many, many schools, as listeners will undoubtedly know. Madalena Kay. Um, I think that it's, uh, the lack of funding for schools is, um, is absolutely just awful because education is key to is to, help, to helping uh, children get the best start in life, to get jobs, to go on to be good citizens. And I actually think the root of inequality in this country comes from education, and it comes from uh, lack of funding in state schools versus um, children from privileged backgrounds who uh, have parents that can afford to pay for them to go to private schools. And the fact that the schools are having to ask the parents to cough up for just the bare essentials to do, just to, you know, to write and for stationery and stuff is an absolute outrage. And, I mean, the Tory government's just got to stop the austerity and it's got to put more funding to invest in our children and their futures. I said that according to this parent who has two children, it was £190. In fact, that it's £180 at the school's reckoning if you have two children. It's, sorry, it is, it is twice £190, um, very nearly £400, £380, I think the math says here. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Glad I got there, finally. Um, what do you make of this problem, Marnie Millard? When um, I run the CBI Regional Council in the Northwest, um, one of the major topics we discuss every single quarter is around the skill shortage within the UK uh, business sector. Um, 
one of the asks we have of the Chancellor for the budget for next week is investment in education, both from a pupil point of view and capital investment. It's something I feel very passionate about. My daughter's 23. She's just doing her PGSC um, at uh, Birmingham University to become a primary school teacher. I can't tell you how hard she's working her socks off at the moment to get through this year. She's totally passionate and committed, as I know all of the other professionals are, as I see all the way through the education system. Um, I actually agree the future of this country is in education um, and we need to see further funding, effort and um, passion put back in by the government to um, improve the situation. <laughs> so, so when the heads say they need an extra £1.7 Billion, the government retorts, well, we're giving more money to schools than we even promised in the election. You would say, find the 1.7. Yes. I, I think uh, we need to... Uh, th there's lots of figures that are blown around, and I, I spend time in schools working with sixth-form colleges, and uh, it, it, it needs to be a priority of ours as a government and as a, as a country. Tracy Braben. Well, um, absolutely, it's, an, uh, it's a disgrace. Um, I know that this week alone, 5,000 head teachers uh, put their name to a letter to the uh, to um, the Prime Minister, and were marching in uh, in the streets in London. And I'm not surprised because before the general election, every single head teacher in my constituency, uh, we wrote a letter to Justin Greening. There has been a slight movement because of pressure from the backbenchers. Justin Greening's found a little bit more money, I think, from free schools to um, try and redress this balance. And whilst Justin Greening will say that the uh, there is more money going into schools. What she's not being this slightly disingenuous in that the value of that money, and in real terms, there are cuts to the majority of schools <laughs> in this country. And, uh, and, that is, and, and that is because the although there's been a, a, an increase, there are many more pupils than the increase covers and therefore the real money for the schools is going down. Is that, is that your point? That's one, that's one of, the, um, of the elements but it's also about um, the, the value of wages and um, how the wages are stretching for, for um, head teachers. They're put in a, a really uh, difficult position. They're losing teachers, they're losing teaching assistants, they've got supersized classes but the thing that really concerns me the most is that with absolute massive pressures elsewhere, NHS, rising mental health issues, social care um, falling off the grid, that teachers are expected to do more for less. And what the, the child that is going to really miss out is the child that needs that intervention. And heads are saying to me, teachers I normally put on intervention or one-to-ones are now having to go to the chalk face and teaching. So those children will fall through the net. And if I might just also add just... Um, in my um, uh, area of early years, this uh, discrimination between um, the haves and the have-nots is, is 
exemplified by the fact that the 30 hours free childcare that's been offered by the government isn't enough money so that nurseries are having to say to parents, would you please just pay a little extra for lunch? But if you're on minimum wage, you might have two children in nursery being charged £7.50 a lunch, so your free childcare is turning into £15 a day for parents who are on minimum wage. So I would agree with Mad- uh, uh, Madalena that, that this is a real issue for social mobility and for fairness, and it's unacceptable. And it's certainly unacceptable when there are councils saying to some nurseries, why don't you take in ironing to make a little bit of extra money? It's just totally un- uh, uh, unacceptable. Owen Patterson, you will know that a great many schools and parents and teachers hearing what they've just heard will be nodding their heads and saying, it's just like it's happening in my school. What should the government do? What are your priorities for schools, given the situation, at least as Sue McMahon puts the question, um, uh, argues it to be paying for pens and paper in Theresa May's own constituency? Well, I've been very much involved in this for 20 years because... I- the position under the Labour government was that there was a brutal shift of money from the rural areas to the inner cities. So about 10 years ago, we had a huge row in Shropshire about having to close some primary schools. And we found out that uh, there was a London borough with almost exactly the same number of children, down to about half a dozen. And they were getting £64 million more. Yet Shropshire, in fairness to the teachers, always came out in the top quartile on results and did really well. So it isn't just money. So we want to talk money. We have put more money in, more than we promised in the spending review in 2015. We're putting 1.3 billion more in. It's going to be 41 billion this year. It's going to go up to 43.5 billion. And we've done that at a time of real restraint in public spending. Don't forget, we are still borrowing 88,000 pounds a minute. All this talk about austerity, public spending has gone up every year since 2010. So under difficult circumstances, we've actually managed to put more into schools, and I think we should look at what's coming out. Thanks to, I think, academies and some of the reforms that Michael Gove brought through with great bravery. You say that, when you you look at our results. Our results have improved. We have got got significant... we have 15,500 more teachers. Someone, shout, we've got, someone shouting in the back for the listeners. We've got 15,500 more teachers than we had in 2010. We have got a significant improvement on exam results. And I think what's really interesting, because every government since 1944 has talked about technical education getting up to the same level as academic education, I think the introduction of T levels is going to be really interesting. We're going to have a qualification which will level peg with, a, with academic standard of A-levels. And I think okay. that will be a Are real say- benefit to our children. So it isn't just Owen, money, it's Owen, what comes out the other end. Owen, you say it's not just money. The IFS says, whether or not it is just money or not, says that school budgets will have declined in real terms by 4.6% between 2015 and 2020. That's the IFS in, uh, figuring of the statistics as they're publicly available. Is that something that because of what you've just described, is something we should live with, uh, despite what you've heard about the conditions that there are in real life, in real schools? 
What do you say, what do you say to the head who's got the primary school head who's asking for 190 quid per, 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 per pupil in order to provide them with the resources she says they need in order to teach them? Well, I'm fully aware of this because I've been having regular meetings with my so head what teachers for 20 years. So what do you say? To, what do you, so, no, where, we, where we, we are now? Where we are now? Yeah, what do you say, have, what do you say okay. to them? The, the new national spending formula is considerably fairer than what went before. It's not perfect because we have also managed to keep the money for deprived schools in the inner city areas who had this huge lift under Labour. Thank you. So, so there is more money going in. What is really important, the results coming out the other end are better. And that's what really counts for people like Marnie. You've got to run a business and take on bright, young, new employees. Marnie wants the more money spent. Sue, Sue, you put the question. Sue McMahon. I think it's very disappointing what Owen Patterson's just said. I don't think what he appears to realise is that it's all schools that are going to be losing out because all schools, including academies, which he, he mentioned, are going to see rising pupil numbers. And I think what I would have liked to have heard from uh, Owen Patterson, and I, I do welcome the uh, answers from the rest of the panel, is that... The, the most important thing would surely be to speak to the Chancellor, to, to show the Chancellor how, how difficult it is for schools, how difficult it is for those head teachers. Are, you, are you yourself a parent, head teacher, or merely interested? I'm a retired teacher. You're retired, yeah, so you, you've been in the profession. I've been in the profession. So yes. you want to talk to the Chancellor and, and, and seek to persuade the Chancellor more money, please? I'd love to talk to the Chancellor and say more money, please. <laughs> There's, there's a school in Sheffield, um, the, and I've, I know one of the teachers, and he uses my, one of my children's books, and he said to me that he is really, really concerned about the lack of uh, funding that there is for schools now, because what they're cutting, they're having to make choices to make cuts, and what they're cutting is arts, and that's having a real impact on children's creative development and as someone that's really passionate about the arts and music and using that to inspire children and for educational purposes I think that is going to be really damaging to the future of the country. Okay, we must leave it there and move on. Any answers the number yet again? I need to honourable wait for your calls or emails. Get in early. The line's open at 1230 03 700 100 444 and we'll go to our next please. James Clayden how can the government commit billions of pounds to improve the transport links between Oxford and Cambridge, yet cannot afford to electrify rail tracks between Manchester and Leeds? There's the Oxford and Cambridge line, of course there's HS2, which also has a, uh, an, an impact, um, and there's Crossrail in, in London. Marnie Millard. I just knew you were going to come to me on this one. <laughs> OK, well, uh, I, I live on the outskirts of Huddersfield um, and I work over near Warrington, so I do the wonderful commute that is the M62 every day. Um, from a personal point of view, if I have a meeting in Manchester, you know, I should be able to take the view I can pop on the train and be in the centre of Manchester in 30 minutes. However... I very routinely prepare to go at least two trains before the one I need to catch because they're regularly um, cancelled. So, again, you're probably getting a sense from me that's something I feel very passionate about. Again, 
It's a constant, it's the second theme in terms of infrastructure around the Northwest Regional Council. I have to say, it's a little bit more fruity when we start talking down in central London, and sometimes I'm not awfully popular, but... What do you tell them? I tell them that we do not feel... You don't feel have to use the expletives. No, but, no, 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 no never, it's always very uh, proper. What, our view up here in the Northwest is that HS2 is not value for money. So I'm not talking about whether it's right or wrong. Today we had Transport for the North uh, receive uh, statutory um, powers, which is good, but it's just simply part of the process we need to go through. We really need infrastructure improvements and spend going trans-Pennine. There is absolutely no question or answer other from, than that. From here, do, do you think... Do, do you think that government... Governments are very London-centric, South-East-centric, and they, and, they, and, they, and, they and they regard the North-West, the North-East as sort of um, distant countries in this respect. Yes. Yes. You do. You were a Secretary of State. Did you regard the North-East, North-West as a separate land, as Marnie thinks? Uh, well, I worked on Merseyside for 20, 25 years, so I'm fully conscious of this because my in-laws lived in Newcastle, on, or above, just a bit north of Newcastle on Tyne, and that is a very long rail journey then. It's a very long rail journey today. I came from Manchester tonight on a train which was absolutely jam-packed with people uh, standing. Uh, to answer to the gentleman's question, I- I'm not fussed about electrification. What you want are fast diesels. So uh, if you want to be isolated, try living in North Shropshire. We, we don't even have a direct link to London. It stops at Shrewsbury. And there has been a move locally. I've been involved in this quite a lot. You could not justify the cost of electrifying the line uh, from uh, Birmingham to Shrewsbury. And what you've got now are these fast diesels. That's what you want on this line. And you want lots of them, from what I saw tonight. You want longer ones, faster ones, cleaner ones, better ones. When, uh, when you say you're not fussed about electricity, that's because you're not overly fussed about climate change and CO2 no, no, emissions, no, no. is that right? Speed. No, 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 no. No, I can get a... I can... There's a train that leaves uh, Euston at seven minutes past, which is uh, electric, and there's one that leaves at ten minutes past a diesel, and they get in almost the same time. You, you don't have to be fussed by the very expensive... Uh, all the infrastructure investment of electrification. Modern diesels are perfectly good enough, and that's what you want up here, fast... Tracy Braben. Well, I, I, I absolutely agree uh, with what we've been saying, that it, it is just so frustrating going to London and there's a bus every 20 seconds and then coming back to Yorkshire. And if you go to the theatre in Leeds, you can't actually get home to Batley on a bus. And uh, all credit to Arriva, actually, we've come to an arrangement on a use-it-or-lose-it basis that we might have a late bus back from Leeds. But I do agree that there's an opportunity with Transport for the North that we could um, make a really big noise about this because it's not just about having the money it's having the will and it's it's having the power also to 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 uh, bring what we need what we know we need that infrastructure and the Labour Party are committed to building that infrastructure to make uh, the north as powerful as we could be and and Brexit could be an opportunity for that to get that money coming not into London but coming into the regions because it is galling that on a percentage basis it's one to ten 
money spent in London versus money spent in the north. And those pacer trains are an absolute killer. And every constituent I have who commutes um, tells me that um, it, you know they stand most days, and most days there is a cancellation on the line. So you know our life wouldn't be improved by 20 minutes faster to London, but it would be improved if we could get you know a quicker journey to Leeds Bradford Airport, maybe. Yeah. Or um, okay. Or between Hull and, and Liverpool, you know, th- that would be fantastic. Crossrail for the north. Madeleine Kay. Um, I think HS Tourism is a fantastic example of uh, the sort of Westminster-centric, uh, London-centric funding in this country. Um, I mean, the HS2 was supposed to be a project that is um, about bringing investment to the north and developing the economy in the north. Yeah, if you look at um, the construction, um, the overspend in the south, which is putting something like 25% of the railway track through tunnels to avoid the local communities, means that there is now not enough money to fund the north than half of it <laughs> and something like two percent going through tunnels and it's being driven through local communities that don't want it that it's you know the government's now having to buy um how, how, how housing estates have been newly constructed um in order to basically drive the train tracks through there and I think I'd like to reiterate what Marnie was saying, is that HS2 is not value for money, and it's not actually going to help alleviate the inequality in the UK. Thank you very much. I need to move on. You can do it in 10 seconds, and you can do it, Owen Patterson. Uh, everyone should look at Professor Patrick Midford's budget that he put out last week, showing oh. that by 2020 we would have £25 billion to spend, and by 2025, £65 billion from a booming British economy I would, had I known brexit that's, Had I known that's going to do, I wouldn't have let you in only because I'd have had to open up a debate around it. He, Patrick Minford is one of the um, small group of leading economists who believes that Brexit is a boon, not a, not a disaster. Um, exactly. Would you, would you um, give us the next question, please? Uh, Conrad Winterburn. Is it reasonable or logical for the general public to expect higher standards of personal morality from people in public life than they would be prepared to apply to themselves. The, the implication of your question is that you suspect that there's a bit of hypocrisy going on here? Well, it's, uh, yes, I think to some degree that is, a, call it tabloid indignation or the syndrome of the unfrocked clergyman or, or the disgraced politician. OK, you've got literally 20 seconds each. It obviously there's a much bigger uh, length of time, but just give us your... Principal thought on that, if you would. Uh, Tracy Brabin first. Of course, we need to keep the same moral standards. This has been in the news. Everybody knows uh, what's been going on in theatre, film, TV, and in politics. We need to um, get a grip of how we are with each other and how women are listened to. Uh, We should end victim shaming of women who are coming out and actually talking about what's been happening with them. And we need the same moral code for everyone, whatever their role. Madeleine Kay, and very briefly, so sorry. Um, yeah, I think that the general public, you know, is really, really hardworking people, and they abide by all the rules. They pay their taxes, etc. Um, and they, you know, the they, the politicians need to live up to the same standards of the people. And you know, where Brexit is regarded. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. We're not Brexiting now. Very sorry, uh, Marnie Millard. Yep, it's not good enough as leaders. You have to walk the talk. Equally briefly, if you'd be so kind, Owen Patterson. I agree with the last two speakers. If you go in a public arena and you do something wrong, you're going to get blown up. 
And we ended on time. Just thank you. Next week, we're going to be in Hayesfield Girls' School in the city of Bath. Amongst others, the Shadow Chief Secretary of the Treasury, Peter Dowd, the economist, Kate Barker, and the director of the think tank Open Europe, Henry Newman. There'll be AN other as well, yet to be discovered. Perhaps a Secretary of State would like to come on the programme. I don't know. Um, uh, but from here in the Brooks Bank School in Elland, thank you to our panel, thank you to our audience, thank you to the school. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed any questions this week. To find out more about the programme or how you can get us to come to your area, then go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions. This is the BBC.